Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Hey, Chris. Happy you brought over your Saturn to play Die Hard Arcade. You know, it's nothing like Nakatomi Plaza to really get me into the holiday spirit. Oh, of course. It's always a delight to play some Saturn games, especially Christmas ones. They're so expensive, and it's always nice to try and convince people to collect them to share in my pain. But you didn't even buy it. Hmm? Not, nothing. Hey, let's go get some eggnog. Sounds good. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. What's, What's that? that? Why, g'day, mates. How are you, damned copper dags? Wow, it's Adam, the Christmas Quaker. Cheers. What brings you here, oh most mighty marsupial? I'm here to bestow upon you a gift. A gift from the language of my people that you lost in episode 90. Yes, we're going to become honorary Australians again. Uh, again? Shh. Uh, sure. Anyway... I'm here to let you know that you may again use and say the word C***t. Huh? Y yeah, I, I, I didn't hear that. C***t. You can use the word C***t. Hmm. Let me get my Aussie dictionary out to see what it could be. Is it Gala? Rongo? Stop it. Piece of piss? Oh, root rat. No, 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 no. It's C***t. I still don't get it. You know what? I'm done. Go f yourself, you f***ing bag mother f***ing f you damn pieces of Sucker fat c ass fuck mother c***ing you stupid fucking sucking no good for nothing yank pieces of mother head you mother donkey burger. F*** you. Wow. Adam's a bit of a cunt. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 105 of Retro Hangover. Christmas retro and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we cause chaos for curtain calls conjoined on contemporary Christmases. This is episode 105 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host Chris Copleen with special guest Keith of the Main Quest and as always your host Shane Hans Dick Dragon Gruber. Koski. You know, when you said like chaotic contemporary Christmases, the, the image that immediately popped into my head was like a couple of people on rascals getting at a fist fight in Walmart. Is that accurate? Because I feel like that's accurate. 
It can be. <laughs> I don't know why it wouldn't be like. Uh, are you like referencing the little rascals in 2021? Does anyone alive even remember that show? What? No. Oh, fuck it. Do you not know what a rascal is? It's it's the motorized like scooters that they bomb around Walmart in. Oh, I'm too old for this shit, dude. <laughs> no, th- <laughs> no, you're, no, you're well, not. You'll soon, you'll soon be familiarized with a rascal. <laughs> There's no way you are too old not to know what an like assisted like movement device is, Chris. <laughs> if anything, you're too young. Nah, too too old. It's like that scooter that lit on fire a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's just kids popping wheelies on their razors and the whatnot with the heelys. Is this like a uh, the the segways? Yes. Not like an actual Segway, but like the motorized I mean, it could be if you want it to be. (laughs) We need a Segway. Anyway, how's it going, Keith? Speaking of old and rascals, uh, yeah, it's me. Uh, Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, So, you know, this is something I've been wondering, and I've had plenty of opportunities to ask you guys. But Mm. now that I'm finally on air and can basically hammer this down. Yeah. So when you say Dick Dragon, now, is this is this a dragon? That is a a dick, or is it a dick that is a dr- like a dragon's dick? Yes, yes. I I would say yes. <laughs> it leans more toward the former. If you want a a, a more straight answer, mm. I think like in the Discord, if you're part of the Discord and you've seen the concept art, it was not received well. Wow. So we've yeah, kind shocker. of had to do this amalgamation of what it may be and. Now we have Gorp, who is just a dragon wrapped around an eggplant. Yeah, I don't know if it was like a there's a canonical answer. So so there is actually this one day. Well, actually, the day may be now since we're, you know, Twitch affiliates. I just I want to keep hammering on that point because it's ridiculous. But there is a story (laughs) and it may end up in our official wiki someday. But to recount for those of you who don't already know. It was actually not anything to do with a dragon whatsoever. It was one of Chris's earlier alliterations. Uh, He said something to the effect of a dick dragon doggo, meaning a dog with a dick that drags upon the ground. Uh, However, everyone that heard that thought he was saying a dick dragon and therefore it was born. And then over time, uh, yeah, it became Gorp. The eggplant dragon, as we know and love him today. Yes. Get your get your mugs. Well, speaking of merchandising, I mean, you you guys should definitely put out a Skyrim mod that turns all the dragons into dicks or puts giant dicks on the dragons. I would actually be shocked if that didn't already exist somewhere. Probably true. I am 100 percent behind both of those concepts, by the way. So (laughs) if it hasn't happened and you're listening to this and you can do that, I don't play Skyrim. But I'm sure people would enjoy that. So we need we need giant dragon dicks or giant dragons with giant dicks. Now imagine that mod with the Macho Man Randy Savage mod installed as well. <laughs> I mean, you just do it one better and just have a sound clip of Chris yelling dick dragon constantly. <laughs> that would work. Just clips I'm- from like earlier episodes where he just scream into the mic. You're just wandering around White Run, and all of a sudden you hear Dick Dragon. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I got a message on Instagram, or we did recently, someone who posted their story how they missed the old Dick Dragon intros. So I just got to put this out at the beginning of the episode. If you miss it, let us know. I like 
onesie twosie, I understand if it's too loud, you can't go to sleep and I empathize with you and I understand, but it's iconic. I can't deny what's iconic. It's like Ethan's iconic hat from Watch Dogs. Yeah, I've been wondering why you have not been doing that lately. So we took an informal poll, right? And the general sentiment seemed to be at best people tended to tolerate the the mm-hmm. screeching intro of our show <laughs> at worst they would simply just skip over it or perhaps just not listen at all and so we were like all right wow. maybe we should maybe we should change that a little bit plus we had one particular person on youtube who'll probably be listening to this so hi hello that mentioned that they like to listen to our podcast while they are falling asleep but they cannot transition between episodes because as soon as they hit the beginning of a new one they are jolted awake by chris's uh best football announcer impression so salting the eardrums yeah interesting okay so basically what i'm saying is we can't win either way right it's like some people are like we love it some people are like you're destroying my eardrums and i now i have tinnitus thank you so yeah i was almost prepared for it because um yeah i don't know i don't know what i expected i'm sorry to disappoint you it's okay I am in the group of I enjoyed it, but that's OK. Well, that's good to hear. We we, we may mm-hmm. we, we listen. I think what really needs no to pressure. happen. Yeah, no, certainly not. Uh, I, I think we just need to find like a, a good middle ground. That's that. I think that's what it is. We're, we're finding that sweet mm-hmm. spot. Speaking of sweet spots, I normally don't plug the Patreon on in the beginning of the podcast, but I have a real special situation that you're not even going to hear next episode. It's probably this episode, maybe the episode after. I don't know. Ooh. But one of our the one of the members of our discord and one of our patrons. And by the way, Keith, thank you very much for being our patron. You're getting lumped into this. I, I Please don't quit after I put this it out. It only took <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of my dollars to finally get on the show. Yes, finally. <laughs> we have you a threshold. We just don't tell people about it. <laughs> one of our patrons, Masked Llama, said he knows somebody who can make Bubsy fursuits. Oh, and oh, we're God. not. We're not furries, but we we know furries. We have furry friends that are friends of the show. We don't yes. have any ill will towards furries. I just want to put that out and make it clear. But it came up because of a comment in the Secret Levels podcast about Bubsy something, because my name in the Secret Levels podcast Discord is always Bubsy 3D something just to piss off one of the hosts there. And it became something about Bubsy at B-dubs. And this idea came up that if we raise enough money, Llama, Mass Llama, who's one of our patrons, would hook us up with one of his friends who can make us Bubsy fursuits. And we go to B-dubs here in northern Florida and say hi to everybody dressed as Bubsy. So if you want to see that happen, and I know you do, check out our Patreon because you'll get extra content on top of it. And if we raise enough funds, you'll see us dress in Bubsy fursuits at a Buffalo Wild Wings in northern Florida, the most tolerant <laughs> of locations in the United States. Yeah, definitely. And if we hit our stretch goal, we will invite Ron DeSantis to come on down and say hello. Formal invitation to Ron DeSantis to come join the furry convention. That's right. Per your uh, conversation at the beginning of the podcast, you guys should uh, walk into a Walmart and ride around on some rascals in those suits. I like where this is going. That's still too much for the young people, man. I'm not I'm not getting behind it. Sounds too cool for me. Listen, if we're going to go all in on the Bubsy fursuit thing, I think we need to get the most, well, literal mileage out of it as possible. We need to do that. That'd probably be the most normal thing to happen at that Walmart that day. That's a fair point. Yeah. Not in their perspective, which makes it even more fun. I mean, 
would it make it easier for them to accept if we just like open carried assault rifles? Would that help? <laughs> open carrying assault rifle Bubsy for the win. <laughs> oh God. Uh, th- what are we, what is this show about? What are we, what are we fucking talking about today? Anyway, what are we playing? I don't know. Oh <laughs> yeah. That keep diehard arcade. Apparently evidently well, before we get to that, that's the, our game du jour. That's what I'm here for. I think. Yes. I'm sorry. Wait, this is coming coming out around Christmas, right? It is. Yes, this is the Christmas episode. That's weird. Merry Christmas, Why is everybody. Di- Die Hard Arcade? Why? I, I can't imagine. Well, that's weird. It's a Christmas movie. Definitively. I'm just staking that down right now. I'm cutting the bullshit. Oh, I've never heard of that before. No? Yeah, first time, huh? <laughs> yeah. But before we get to Die Hard Arcade, uh, we'd like to talk about the games we are playing outside of our game du jour. Mm. Keith, how about you kick us off since you are the guest and let us all know what you've been playing outside of this. I understand you have a podcast, so if you want to keep it, you know, kind of on the down low, it's completely understandable. So if this is coming out around Christmas, it's really no real secret. Um, And I think at this point, not to date this episode, my schedule's already out anyway. I just finished playing another beat 'em up for my show, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Finished that up and just kind of going through my notes for that for that episode. But outside of that, I'm wrapping up my game of the year list and just replaying and going back to some stuff that I've been playing that I played earlier this year to just kind of see if it's going to make my list or not. Uh, So currently I went back to Outer Wilds because uh, they had the Echoes of the Eye DLC come out earlier Mm -hmm. this year. Well, a couple weeks ago, actually. So relatively close to when we're recording this and um it's it's really good that that game is really cool i know there's a lot of complaints about the way that that game handles uh it's there's a definite learning curve to those mechanics uh because you are dealing with a lot of uh zero g situations and in some situations you're dealing with a lot of gravity on the different planets and so having to go between the planets and to outer space and uh, sometimes having to leave your ship to repair it in the vacuum of space can be a little daunting. Mm. But also those situations can also lead to some very unique experiences that some other people wouldn't have. So, for instance, I had to go out and um, I had to go find a satellite in the vacuum of space, track that down. And when I came up to it, I tried to you have to match its speed because it's it's moving throughout space. So you have to match its velocity. And I forgot to do that. So as soon as I kind of caught up to it and got out of my ship, the satellite just completely bombarded me and I died because I made the mistake of not matching its velocity. So it totally just took me out. So it's kind of like stuff like that, where it's like, if you're not really paying attention to what you're doing, you could totally mess something up. But outside of that, I don't really want to talk about like story or anything like that because the game is very, very easily prone to spoilers. So I really won't get into that. But yeah, I mean, the Echoes of the the DLC is kind of a separate thing from the story. You can just kind of access that part of the game separately from everything else. And it doesn't really tie into anything. So there's that. And it's um, it's really eerie. So. When the DLC loaded up on the main menu, there was an option that popped up saying that you could essentially turn off anything that's frightening or anything 
scary that might happen that might surprise you hmm. and outer wilds isn't it's not a horror game or anything like that but there are some unsettling things that happen right because you're dealing with outer space you're dealing with some really weird mechanics that you normally wouldn't deal with uh, because you're dealing with interstellar travel and stuff like that and so immediately i see that option come up and now i'm going through this different world that's available to me in this dlc and i'm just waiting for something really messed up to happen <laughs> and it's <laughs> they're really good at like creating this atmosphere and there's nothing inherent there's nothing really happening in the game but the atmosphere is incredibly eerie really unsettling in some ways and i'm just waiting for something to happen and so maybe it's the anticipation that something will probably never happen but i'm definitely i'm getting i'm getting the sweaty palms syndrome playing that game that'd be fantastic if they included that option just to mess with you and nothing actually ever happens yeah right but so that's um pretty much what i've been playing uh on my end so you said Outer Wilds or Outer Worlds? Because I know two games came out around the same right. time with like the same name. And it sounds like they're very similar. They're completely different. Yeah, they're, uh, they're not I, at all. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh. Outer, Outer Wilds is what I'm playing. Outer, Outer Worlds was made by Obsidian and it's actually just it's Fallout in Outer Space. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. That's why I think it's the space thing that gets me confused and the similar name. Right. I'm dumb okay we still love you i know I'm, I'm sorry anyways i guess i'll go next here and let shane round it out i finished breath of fire for the super nintendo on my wii u and uh i'll just say it's like a really basic rpg and i'm really kind of happy how it turned out it's a relaxing game if you like traditional rpgs like jrpgs from that era but if you don't like just stay the fuck away from it because it's old it plays old it doesn't require a ton of grinding which is nice uh i did make an rfr for it where i, I that's one thing i didn't actually bring up is you don't have to grind a lot in order to do it uh in order to make it through it anyway and that's one thing i really appreciated it was uh, a really nice relaxing experience if you like those older kind of games I also played a game called Stories Untold. I don't know if I brought it up in the last episode or not. I, I can't recall. But that is a really nice indie game if you haven't tried it out. Uh, go go take a look. It'll take less than like three hours for you to beat it, which is perfect for me. And it's a text adventure, which I never usually typically like. But this one really hit all the right boxes. So uh, it's a lot like the Outer Limits if we're sticking with the outer stuff theme things that start with outer in it congratulations you did it <laughs> i know i made it i made the reference and screwed it up like i normally do but yeah stories untold it's a great indie game it's super cheap check it out also did an rfr for that for the patrons and uh that's all i really got because breath of fire took up a lot of my time and i've been gone for two and a half months so now that i'm back i've been spending a lot of time with with uh people outside of you know just hanging out at home oh I did go to Shane's house and he can talk about this, too. We played a game called Cho Aniki and that game, huh? that game is something special. We had a great time with that game and I made it to I think it had, had to be the final level and I died and it set me all the way back to the beginning of it. And that level took me about 15 minutes to make it through and I just threw the controller down and said I quit. But other than that, it's a really fun game. So with that being said, I think that's a good segue over to you, Shane. What have you been playing? 
Yeah, well, I will say that uh, I know for a fact I have stories untold on my backlog somewhere. I assume Steam. And all I know about it is it's that one game that used the Stranger Things font for their title. That's, that's the only thing I know about it. Mm. Um, but glad to hear that it's good. Uh, I'll get around to playing it someday, probably. Um, also, real quick, because I feel like I might be conflating this with a completely different game, but is Breath of Fire like what? what is the basic plot of Breath of Fire? Is there a princess that gets kidnapped and she's like in a cave? Uh, maybe super early, but the princess joins your party. She's your second party member. OK, yeah, no, like, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. Like the basic premise is that you're a dude that has to go save the world like any really basic stereotypical jrpg plot sure except you can turn into dragons okay yeah no it's it's definitely not that i there was some other game from that same era and i the title is totally escaping me right now that i had played a little while back that that was the same feedback i had was i was like oh this is a really great just straightforward rpg now i can't remember for the life of me but anyway breath of death (laughs) seven no um although that is a good one uh, yeah. So what I've been up to lately. So, yes, Chris mentioned that he did stop by and we uh, so the in, the initial reason other than just an excuse to hang out, of course, was to play the the game du jour, which <laughs> lasted for all of maybe 30 minutes. And then we were like, well, we uh, I guess we suck at this. And so he decided to play some other things for the rest of the night, um, which is what led us to Choaniki, among other things. Which also led me down a rabbit hole of looking that whole series up and finding out that there is a lot of content for that out there, mostly in Japan and just as weird and crazy as the one that we played. But as for myself specifically, uh, frankly, not a lot. It really hasn't been too much. I really gave Tomb Raider Underworld a fair shot and then decided that it's not a good game. And so I stopped playing it because I'm at that point in my life where I I don't have time to just power through something for the sake of powering through it anymore. And unless we're doing an episode about it and even then it's just 50, 50, but, uh, so that one, that one's done. That that one's checked off the list. And, uh, I fired up skies of Arcadia because I mean, I think at this point, if you're a regular listener of the show, you've probably heard us talk about stuff enough that you know that, uh, we're talking about that eventually pretty soon as a matter of fact. So uh, a lot of my time has been going into trying to get that done uh, and then, you know, interspersing a few of the the usual suspects in there. Still got a little Diablo 2 resurrected every once in a while. Um, I did take advantage of the current Steam sale, picked up a few new things. There's a uh, a pretty decent shmup with some like RPG light elements to it called Stardust Galaxy Warriors Stellar Climax, which is a fantastic title. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a name and uh it's on sale for 99 cents at the time of recording and uh it's it's pretty dang good and so i started playing a little bit of that it's got steam remote play so you can play with your friends so i'm 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 i've told chris that we we need to try to co-op this like on one of our sunday streams but uh i agree but yeah so that that's pretty much me so far that's amazing it, it that that topic i mean we've been talking so long that i never thought it would end it, it almost had to die hard it it did yeah but mm. but it got there <laughs> kudos to you for that segue there was a lot of effort there i know i i tried hard to die hard but that's like our game this time which is die hard arcade for the sega saturn which was released in 1997 but we'll get more into that with our brief history 
And to give us our brief history mm. this week, we have Shane, who's going to go over that. So, Shane, take it away with the brief history of Die Hard Arcade. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. That's what Sega was probably thinking when they secured the license to the Die Hard movie franchise. And really, how could they not? It's the perfect blend of action and hyper-masculine badassery. Source material totally appropriate for a game marketed to kids. Uh, There was only one minor problem. They kinda had to actually make the game. And that's really the story behind Die Hard Arcade, released appropriately to Japanese arcades in July of 1996 and in August and September in North America and Europe, respectively. Sega had a massive surplus of STV boards in inventory and needed to find something, anything, to do with them. And so they did. Leveraging their AM1 and STI divisions, Sega got started on developing today's titular title. Presumably unbeknownst to them at the time, this would also be STI's last game that they would ever work on. The game was to be a beat-em-up, which is perhaps unsurprising given Sega's back catalog and the IP upon which the title was based. This decision would end up becoming more notable than presumably first thought, as Die Hard Arcade is now considered by many to be the first 3D polygonal game within the beat-em-up genre. Perhaps just as notable, however, is the game's apparent lack of actual connection to its source material. Outside of the game's name and title screen, one would be hard-pressed to find any similarities. Sure, Player One takes on the mantle of John McClane, navigating a skyscraper chock-full of terrorists, but that's really about it. Though mystifying at face value, there is a legitimate, though arguably unsatisfying, rationale for this disconnect. Despite Sega possessing the rights to the movie franchise and having a working relationship with Fox Interactive, said license did not extend to their native country of Japan. As a result, Sega had to develop the game in such a way that it could easily be altered for the Japanese market. And to that end, Die Hard Arcade would instead be released as Dynamite Deca, or Dynamite Detective in English, for Sega's home territory. Critical reception of the arcade release was generally positive, with many reviewers stating their appreciation for the mix of Streets of Rage and Virtua Fighter-like controls, both still extremely popular franchises at the time. Commercial reception would also rise above Sega's expectations, with Die Hard Arcade becoming their most successful US-produced arcade offering up to that point. This, of course, would result in a home port to Sega's lovable yet struggling Saturn. It would see release on January 24th of 1997 in Japan, with North America and Europe receiving it on February 27th of the same year. Once again, 
critical reception would be mostly positive, with many outlets praising it as a near-flawless arcade conversion. However, some would state that the game was too easy and far too short to provide any sort of real replayability or longevity. Commercially, it's a bit more difficult to discern how the home release truly fared. The Saturn was practically on death's door by this point in just about every region outside of Japan, and many avid gamers had already moved on to Sony's PlayStation or the Nintendo 64. Die Hard Arcade would receive a sequel for the Dreamcast known as Dynamite Cop, a title that has all but been forgotten at this point. Though relatively short-lived, Die Hard Arcade is still frequently discussed among the Saturn faithful as one of the standout titles for the system, especially during its heyday. And that is your brief history of Die Hard Arcade. There it is. Thank you for the brief history on that Christmas title. You're welcome. Because Merry, Merry Christmas, yippee motherfuckers. That's right. This is a Christmas episode. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Something, something, filthy animals, yes. Yes. You know, people are always really sad to hear about the death of the Dreamcast, but it's always really crushing just to hear the, the death knell of the Saturn. Be reminded of that as well. It could be Bernie Stolar, who just came out, I think, in 97, just said the Saturn is not our future. That, that was probably... Ugh. That's that's rough. <laughs> oh, the poor Saturn. I love the Saturn. Such a nice little system. Uh, we'll find out about what we think of this game, though, as we get into it. Uh, any any interests that we got that you picked up from the brief history, Shane or Keith? I, I just I don't even remember this being in arcades, to be honest with you. I never saw it or even remember it. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess if we're just rolling into our personal experiences, <laughs> I, too, never heard a damn thing about this game. I I don't even recall seeing it in an arcade. And, and at the time, I was still frequenting the uh, our town's one arcade fairly frequently. So either it was there and it just completely passed under my radar, uh, which is possible, uh, or it just it was never there in the first place. Yeah, I pretty much the same boat as you guys. I do remember seeing this game on the shelves um at in stores. But outside of that, like I never knew anything about this game. I've never even seen Die Hard, believe it or not. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Uh, I am uh, in a room I'm not the only one. with two people who have never seen Die Hard. I, I'm not the only I, one. I don't even know what to say. It's one of those movies I feel like I don't need to see because I'm pretty sure i know exactly what happens yeah i mean you're probably not wrong <laughs> i've heard so much about it through the ether that it just is some of its common knowledge like he doesn't wear shoes i know that's like a plot point mm -hmm. which in your brief history you said there's really no ties to the movie franchise and for the last four levels john mclame which is what i'm gonna call this representation of john mclane nice isn't wearing any shoes so there's that. That's true. There is that. That is true. He is 100% correct. Like it will we'll get more into that in the graphics. But yeah, he, his appearance changes as you go through the game. So I guess that does tie in better to the movies than we initially thought. Now, if only they had increased kick damage in later levels for all of the, you know, glass shards stuck in your feet, <laughs> then we'd be talking. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll we'll talk. Definitely. <laughs> now, in terms of no response to that. Uh, anyway, go on. 
I should say that also I'm coming into this not really being that big of a fan of beat-em-ups. Mm, beautiful. Growing up, we were never a beat-em-up household. So the few instances that I did, and I'm familiar with like Streets of Rage, Scott Pilgrim. What's the other one from the not Streets of Rage? Um, River City Ransom. I'm familiar with that too, but that's not the one I was thinking of. Final Fight. Double Dragon? Double Dragon. Yeah, Final Fight, yes. Uh, Final Fight. T- uh, Turtles in Time, of course. One of the Warps, best. Warps. But outside of like the those bigger ones, I wasn't really much for beat-em-ups, mainly because I was too embarrassed to say how bad I was at them. Oh, so it's like me and fighting games. Okay, yeah. Well, that was the thing, too. I was like, well, if I want to play a fighting game, I'll just play a fighting game. <laughs> so that was also kind of my my thinking there as well. So just a heads up on that as we dig more into this game. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's fair. I, I was honestly never a huge beat up fan either. Chris is the one that's like really into those like Streets of Rage 2 is, I think, like his favorite game. My favorite game of all time. Yeah. Best game ever. I, I wasn't like Turtles in Time was like my jam. And then outside of that, I didn't really play a whole lot of them. I, I, I totally get it. No, I will admit there's there's like a cream of the crop when it comes to beat em ups. And yeah. he <laughs> just mentioned pretty much all of that cream. And then once you get past that, it's a steep cliff. True. It's, it's not a curve. It's a cliff because either they just want to be too hard or they're just overly generic. So if you're not in a beat em ups, I can completely understand because there's just a whole like collective of shit and then once you get past that there's some really good fucking games but if you go like oh this game's like streets of rage and it's just a beat em up and you can run into a lot of games from that era it's just like this game is just absolute dog shit because it will just it, they're quarter munchers they were designed to be quarter munchers that's the just the, the entire conceit of the genre is to just eat your quarters I repeat myself again and again. Well, that and I would say, well, sure. But <laughs> that and I would say yeah. that, frankly, it's really easy to put out low effort beat ups because the mechanics can be very simplistic if you want them to be right. Yeah. So it's like perfect shovelware fodder. Yeah. Slap in some chunky sprites. I will also point out Simpsons Arcade. Also another really solid mm. beat up. Yeah. Yeah. And also one final thing that I just want to make a note of is that if there were any households that like actually referred to themselves as a beat em up household, I think I'd actually be concerned. <laughs> Call DCS. Yeah. For beat em up households. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, do, do I do I need to call somebody? Uh, so I guess that's pretty much all of our personal experiences, which is to say nothing. So fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, did uh, before I move on, did anyone other than myself here? I mean, I know you didn't, Shane, so I guess it's more targeted towards Keith. Right. Did you have a Saturn growing up? Yes. Did you ever experience this game at all? I mean, you said you saw it on the shelves, but did you experience it at all when you were younger? No, no. No, my brother's somewhat older than me, so we weren't in beat em up. So even if he had even maybe looked at it, he probably would have never brought it into the house. So, mm-hmm. and I was relatively young still, so I. I didn't really have any say of what games we got or anything like that anyway. So, yeah. And if you haven't, if you don't watch Die Hard, it's not like you're going to pick up a game based off a franchise you have absolutely no right. interest in because you just haven't seen it. I, that's kind of the same thing with me. I didn't play this game growing up either. This was the first time I played it in preparation for this episode. So I'm sure this is going to be a fun one, ladies and gents. <sighs> or strangely quick. That all depends. <laughs> 
So how about the plot, Shane? Huh. You're the one who's watched the movie. You're the one who likes it. Y- yes. So I think I guess you're the best one to kick this off. How sure. how is the plot and writing in here? Yeah, I mean it's it's fucking non-existent, man. It's a arcade beat 'em up. What do you want from me? Like, okay. If it's existent. If barely. Barely. If if you're talking about ties to the actual source material, you know, th- there are like a couple of things, I guess, like at best, right? You've got a man that could be reasonably misconstrued as Bruce Willis. Maybe. No, he's John McClane. He's not Bruce Willis. He's John McClane. Right. Of course. Yes. John McClane. Yes. McLame, as we've established. Yes. Thank you. McLame. Yes. McLame. And let's see. There is a group of no good Nicks that have taken over a skyscraper. However, I would be reticent to fully call them terrorists because they're really just kind of a group of random people in street clothes. So there's that as opposed to our, you know, uh, well-appointed, obviously German terrorists in the movie. There were no sweet blonde ponytails in this game is what I'm trying to say. Your partner has sweet blonde hair. Yeah, no ponytail, though. So. Right. Still, it's still it's yeah. still missing. She looks a lot like Heather from Silent Hill 3, actually. She that was does, my first thought. Right. Yeah, I could see that. This is part of her nightmare. <laughs> you know what? I'll take that. <laughs> that's that's my headcanon now. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. And then they're trying to open a big vault, presumably to get cash money. Uh, And that's really it, man. That that's it. That That's all that's really related to to Die Hard, the movie. And honestly, that's like 99% of the plot. The president's daughter is also involved, except she's just like hide and seek champion of 1997 or whatever, because <laughs> they never actually find her, even though she's hiding in the just man's don't desk look under the desk. You're yeah. right. <laughs> He's just sitting at the desk with his comically large cell phone of the era and just being like, why haven't you found her yet? And she's like right there. So there's your plot synopsis, Chris. Are you happy? That's that's all it is. Yeah, I am happy because I love it because it's cheesy as fuck. It is that, yes. The only thing I have a problem with the plot slash writing here is that the cutscenes make the game worse oh my because God. you you fight and then you get like a 30 second cutscene and then you fight for like a minute and then another 30 second cutscene. And it just I don't know. This ties into the gameplay too much and I don't want to get into it because I want to give Keith a crack at this. But it's just it, it, it feels so stilted and interrupted. But outside of that, if I ignore that, which is it's really hard to fucking ignore that. But if I ignore that, just everything about it is so cheesy and stupid that it's hard not to appreciate. <laughs> uh, where do you stand on it, Keith? I mean, as far as the plot goes, I was I mean, there's a tower. You're going up a tower and you're taking out terrorists. Right. And that's from what I understand, what Die Hard is. So for me, I was like, yeah, this is probably pretty faithful right it hurts to listen to (laughs) to an extent it's it's a tower you're fighting people yeah but my biggest gripe was and maybe i'm jumping ahead a little bit to the music and sound here but i could not understand a damn thing that shundi looking motherfucker was saying throughout this entire game (laughs) no that's fair shane did a pretty good impression of him but it was just like 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 you said chris the cutscenes go by so quickly so it just might be like literally like somebody reading five words off a script and then the cutscene just ends. And I'm like, wait, what what did they just say there? Yeah, the, the disc yeah. loading times don't help either. No. As far as the plot and the, and the writing goes, I mean, it's 
very of its time. And I mean, again, we're, we're adapting a movie to a video game and, you know, that kind of stuff, especially in the 90s and, and maybe well into the 2000s as well. Now, I could argue that you're still not getting good video games based off of movies unless uh, you're Marvel, I guess. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, back in those days, it was very hard to come by a game that was well representative of the IP that it originally was trying to uh, duplicate for home consoles. Yeah, you bring up of the time and that made me want to just disagree with you based off one game that was also made by Sega. I think that's why I mostly disagree with you. And that's House of the Dead. If you want to combine <laughs> cheese, I knew you were going to say that. If you want to combine cheese and just do things right with like how you stream in plot and have a really short cutscene plot into what the action is, House of the Dead does it right. So if you consider the fact that House of the Dead came out around this same time and it just blows it out of the water, it makes that that viewpoint even worse. It's just like House of the Dead did it. Why can't you? And it's like you're both Sega. I never thought I would listen to anybody holding up House of the Dead as an example of good plot or writing ever. Well, now we're here. <laughs> Look what you've done, Die Hard Arcade. Die Hard the movie sounds like it has a video game plot, though. It does. It, it, well, so, it really does. So to actually to not adapt it well, you kind of have to try at that. <laughs> It didn't bother the like I said, the only thing that bothered me is I just could not understand what that old man was saying at any point in the game. <laughs> also, you know what? I'll save it for for music and sound. You know what? Okay. I'll just save it. Good shit. So we want to beat up bad guys. How are we beating up bad guys? And this book this book comes into the gameplay. Holy shit. This is a weird one for me. <laughs> It's really weird because we went over to Shane's house and I played it with Shane. I was angry because I had been hyped up about how good this game is from all the Saturn faithful. And I started playing this game and it was just like the basics are there, right? It's like basic beat em up stuff, punches, kicks, jumps. But everything felt so stiff and and delayed. And I was like, I'll take this back home and I'll, I'll play it later. And granted, I did. And once you get used to it, it gets it gets a little bit better. I made it much further. But OK, I question you, too. Am I the only one? Mm. I think Shane already know the answer to this on your half because I was there when you played it. Right. Am I the only one who thinks this game is just unnecessarily inconsistent in, in terms of brutality? Because, like, I don't want to say this is easy. When I saw some of the reviews say this game was too easy, I'm like, get, get fucked because it's it's not easy. And when I say it's not easy, it's like an unfair level of difficulty. Because sometimes, even like on repeated plays that I've been doing at home, sometimes like you'll just cruise through with absolutely no resistance. And then just sometimes enemies will have AI to just completely crowd you, put you in a corner and doesn't let you get up. So I don't I don't know what the fuck's going on with it. Yeah, I mean, for, for context, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but, you know, when Chris and I sat down to play this co-op, we made it as we found out once we looked up a long play on YouTube. Uh, roughly halfway through through the campaign, we yeah. we got to the like the the fountain area where you end up fighting a mini boss who shoots you with a rocket, and you have to do a quick time event to avoid it. 
that was about where we ended and we could not get past that point. So, yeah, when I saw the the general sentiment from a lot of folks back in the day was that this was too easy. I was like, I don't know which game you were playing, but it, it might have something to do with the game's surprisingly sort of deep, actually like combo <laughs> system i'm i'm real <laughs> hesitant to say that but it actually kind of is um it, it it takes a lot of notes from more traditional fighting games in how it implements its combat mechanics which in a way i think is is laudable that it that it does that uh but if you're going into this cold like presumably most people would in an arcade or like chris and i when we just sat down and decided to play it you're basically like, cool, uh, this button punch, this button kick, and you have no idea how to do all the other stuff. And then I go and watch someone play it, you know, on YouTube and they're pulling off like fucking suplexes and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's probably why they think this game is easy. So I guess what I'm saying is we were just bad at it, Chris. That's the problem. Oh, we totally suck at this. Yeah. I should say I went through a roller coaster of emotions playing this game. And when you know, in your brief history, when Shane mentioned that people generally favored the game and said that it was or not generally. Well, yeah, generally favored it, but also said that it was too easy. I'm like, it's too easy. <laughs> like I had a hell of a time <laughs> as well. So can I rewind? Can we talk about deep scan for a, for a second? Did you guys check that out? Yes, absolutely. Go for it. So before I even jumped into the actual game. There's a mode on the main menu that is called deep scan. And so I jumped into that first just to see what that was about. And it's just this it's, it's a mini game where you're a boat and you're dropping mines on submarines. And it's just this little like 2D mini game made up of sprites. And to be honest, I really like this game. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like this was more fun than the actual game. <laughs> it kind of was <laughs> like if i could find a mobile version of this game i would totally get it wow so i played that for a little bit because i was having a really good time with that. I, I played it for a while that i finally was like well i should probably actually play the game that i'm supposed to be playing so i jumped into die hard and i think i died and the first time i died it's you know came up with continue and it was showing me that I had 18 continues. I was like, wow, they're very generous with the continues here. And so I got to maybe about the part where you guys were having having a hard time with the uh, water fountain. And I think I had used up my final continue at that point. And I was like, well, let me just I just kind of want to play. I kind of want to just play some more deep scan. So I started playing that and I ended up dying relatively quickly. And I was like, well, let me jump back into the game, jump back into the game. And so what happens is when you play deep scan, the more points you rack up in that mode translates to continues in Die Hard. Fuck out. And when I realized that. Fuck you. When I fuck you. When I realized no. that I sat, I went back into deep scan after my second playthrough of Die Hard. I went back into deep scan and just sat there for like 15 minutes. And just racked up continues. I think I racked up to like 50 continues in 15 minutes, went back into Die Hard, and I just blew through the game in like 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah. So Fuck this you. is something that I wish we would have known before playing it because I found this out after the fact um, in preparation for this you episode. You told me. No, I, didn't. I was playing this game before I, I, okay. I recorded this. Okay, Chris, cal calm down. It's okay. 
Also, for the record, I'm so angry right now. <laughs> I found this out literally this morning, like the morning of us recording. So it's not like, oh, this my was... bad. I, pl- I found this out like a week and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, blame blame Keith then. My bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, evidently. So deep scan for the record, it's an arcade game that Sega released in 1979. And so they kind of threw it in as like, a, hey, this is an arcade game also. Yeah, getting points in there totally gives you continues, and uh, we might have actually finished the game if we had known that. I wish you could hear me breathing. If you can't, it's because of the awesome audio software I have. I'm not going to advertise because they don't sponsor us, so fuck you. But I am breathing. It's aggressive. Very heavily. I'm 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 being aggressively angry. Okay. Towards this this idea, I could have beaten this game. I could have. Did you? Okay. Like when I made it as far in the game as I did with the, with the standard amount of continues, which they say is four, but it's really three because your first credit counts against that four. Fuck you. Arcade logic. You, I made it to like the second or third to last boss. Like the, the, the dude that looks like he's covered in like a luchador fire costume. Yes. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. I made it that far. I was like, Oh, I can make it that far again. I never made it that far again. Of course I didn't. That that wouldn't happen. And now that I know that I fuck, I, I need to get I need to get my mind right. I'm very emotional right now. I mean, what I'm hearing is that you just need to go play more deep scan. Uh, now, now I have to beat this game. I want to play more deep scan right now. All right, everybody. <laughs> uh, this episode is now about deep scan. The 1979 Sega arcade game. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where these secret hidden deep mechanics Shane was talking about almost don't become necessary at all to play the game when you have as many con- when you can just rack up continues and deep scan mm, yeah right just brute force your way through it For, that's kind of what I did and then I actually before we started recording I played the game again to ref- refamiliarize myself with it since it's been like a week or two and went into deep scan again for like 10 minutes and racked up like 20 continues I I almost beat the game um, but, um, yeah, that, that luchador fireman kicked my ass again. So, well, as much as I appreciate Chris's salt here, I'll, I'll give him a moment to, to cool down a bit. So a couple of things that I, I wanted to point out about the gameplay besides the strangely complex combat mechanics, um, which aren't particularly evident, but, uh, couple other things i don't know about anybody else i felt and this is not necessarily a criticism of the game itself more indicative i think games of this type of the time but there were times where i definitely felt like the hit detection was a little more miss than hit let's say agreed totally agree yeah totally agree yeah unless of course you have a gun or a rocket launcher in which case you are basically god for five minutes give or take (laughs) also okay i figured this out post post gameplay but this was something that irked me that i pointed out to chris while we were playing right it would seem on the surface that you just sort of randomly lose your gun in between stages like when you clear a stage if you still have like a semi-automatic or whatever your character will be standing there holding the gun and then the gun of its own volition will just leap out of your hands and fall to the ground while your character is still in the same pose which in and of itself is amusing but also frustrating because i was like why i still have a gun why are you taking it from me evidently upon further review the only thing that you get to keep is handguns 
And that's only if they still have bullets left. So good thing to know there, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So fun. Uh, also, let's talk about the quick time events. I would like to discuss mm. that because by and large, I am not a fan <laughs> of QTEs to begin with. They really begin. Honestly, what I'm what I'm really getting at, I think, here is this game was uh, clearly ahead of its time. It was a forward thinking <laughs> game because the early to mid aughts were just littered with games that felt that this was a- passed as actual gameplay mechanics. And I'm not biased about that at all, obviously. But the interesting thing with this game is that I felt like the punishment for failing a QTE was like disproportionately massive as opposed to like other games that would come along later and implement this style of system. Right. Cause it's not only you, whatever, lose health or something, which you do do that generally as well. But if you screw up a QTE, a lot of the time you will end up having to have an entire, essentially mini boss encounter that you could have just skipped wholesale. If you had only punched that chick in the hallway at the right time. Yeah, fuck chick in the hallway. She's the worst. Well, and I think one of the worst parts of these QTEs is that they're so jarring and they come out of nowhere. It's Mm -hmm. going back to what Chris said. It's because they're basically nested inside these cutscenes that just happen between stages. Yeah. And your first playthrough, you're never you don't know when it's coming. It just happens. And the window for you to respond to the QTE is so short. Mm hmm that you're probably going to miss most of them the first playthrough. And then even then, having just recently played it a couple hours ago, I still did, I knew they were coming, but I wasn't sure which cutscenes were going to be QTEs and which weren't. And to further compound that problem, we discovered that the button prompts are randomized, so they're not always really? the same. Yeah. Uh, so that might have been part of your problem. Except for when you jump. Can I pile one more thing onto that? Yeah is that the button prompt is not color coded to the controller. Hmm. Nope. nope. Just red. It just tells you what to press. Kick, punch, jump. Sound like Parappa the Rapper. Well, hey, you know what? You know what, Keith? Funny you story. Know what makes that worse. Funny story. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Chris. What's your funny story? <laughs> when we were playing this, I brought over my Saturn, which has a mode, uh, the Terra Onion mode, the, the multi optical disc emulator, which you can play games on original hardware. You just need a ROM to play it in. I don't know what fucking rom i have uh so don't arrest me sega please i'm sure you care about this game deeply it has diehard arcade but all the text was in japanese so when it said press a button it was in moon language and shane can't read moon language and i didn't know what it was asking us to do so for the first couple playthroughs We didn't know what button to press until I realized, oh, it says punch and kick at the bottom here in Katakana. And I don't know how we obtained that, but it it was there. And that made for a really fun experience. I mean, I I was wholly relying on your perhaps tenuous grasp of reading Japanese, Chris. That was literally it. You're overly like reliant. You, you managed to actually suss that out, honestly. Like we were looking at it, and you're like, oh yeah, I think that says punch. I'm like, I'm gonna take your word on that. <laughs> and it did say punch. And then by that time you've already missed it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how we got a, a an American version of the game that had all Japanese text. I maybe I have a prototype <laughs> in my fucking SD card, but fuck me, man. 
Yeah, that did not make it easier. And the one thing I, I really want to put a, a distinction on as well, just not, is not to really confuse your listeners, but this isn't really, as far as the gameplay goes, a traditional beat em up. No. Because when you think of a traditional beat em up, you're thinking of one screen, kind of ratchet scrolling, side scrolling. You start at one end of the level, and by the time you get to the end of the level, you're fighting a boss. Mm-hmm. This is literally just you're in an arena fighting people random cutscenes happen and then you're onto a new arena and that just continues throughout the entire game i think shane was onto something i think this was the beta for shenmue well i I mean if you're talking about potential connections to other games i i have some sort of sneaking conspiracy theory suspicion that this game was based on some kind of engine that was used for a wrestling game at some point because Mm. It seemed like there was just a, an inordinate number of moves that you could you and the enemies could pull off that were just like straight out of WWE. Yeah, but you had to put in certain button combinations. I looked up the suplex you're talking about, and apparently to pull that off, you have to get into a grapple, which is completely random. And then you have to do punch, kick, 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 and then you'd be able to suplex them. Oh, great. How you would know that without looking into the manual is I have no idea because you wouldn't. Do you think they had that like printed on the side of the arcade cabinet or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing that did bother me too is in later beat 'em ups, and this had been established by this point, beat 'em ups. If you pressed forward twice, you would dash. Yes. And in there are times in this game that if you pull that off correctly, you will be able to uh, prevent serious damage to yourself like one of the times you get out of the elevator and you have them be uh, you have two enemies with with machine guns behind a kiosk and they both have them if you don't dash they're going to end up shooting you well the problem with the dash is that it doesn't always work it just kind of makes up its mind on when it wants to work i i don't know if i'm just doing something wrong because i i'm pretty fucking good at 2d beat-em-ups so for it not to translate and just Anytime I have to do a, a double forward, I'm pretty good executing that. There's just something different about this game. And, and that goes for all of the controls in general. It seems like uh, with a lot of criticisms that you get in modern games that it's too focused on executing the animation as opposed to you having tight controls and doing what you want to do in, in terms of transitioning from one attack to another it seems to be extremely prevalent here. It seems like they wanted to make it more of a a showcase of what could they could do with the the engine that they are presented with, as opposed to giving the player an a really enjoyable gameplay experience. So I think that that was kind of the issue that I that I had with a lot of these moves that I did know how to do over time. I tried to learn and tried to perfect, which is why I think I was able to make it as far as I was off fucking three continues. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't enough to do what I what I thought I could do or I thought I was capable of doing. And it severely handicapped me from having a good time, which is unfortunate because I really do think there's something there. As you said, it's laudable to how deep this system is, which is typically something you don't even see in a beat em up outside of Tobal number one. But that was a fighting game right. that just came with a beat em up and Tobal number one, very obscure Square Enix game or Squaresoft game that came with the Final Fantasy seven demo disc. That's its claim to fame, really. Yeah. And look it up. It's Chris's weeb flex for today. <laughs> I know there it is. <laughs> but like there's something about this game that is truly unique and special because you, there is a crazy assortment of weapons that you can do things with. There are a lot of fun. 
but it just seems like every single time you can do something, it just gets in its own fucking way. Yeah, but Chris, you can kill a man with nothing but a can of mace or a broom and a grandfather, and a grandfather clock. clock. Right. Yeah, or that. <laughs> Listen, peak gameplay during our time with this was me just grabbing that broom in like the first room and just windmilling fools to death. That was <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like I said, you can have a lot of fun with this game. It's just that the game doesn't seem that it wants you to have fun. No, it wants your quarters, Chris. Yeah, great for great for a console conversion. It wants my console quarters. I will say I actually really kind of enjoyed the kind of like virtual fighter type mechanics for the most part. And yes, I I mostly agree with you guys when it comes to that. Uh, maybe the first couple of stages could have taught you some of the combos and let you know other things are possible if you use the right combination of of button presses. Mm. But for the most part, again, I I was on a roller coaster of emotions with this game. (laughs) When it comes down to it, I just yeah, it it's just kind of sloppy and it's not as responsive. And now hearing you guys talk about it, I thought maybe it was just I'm using a wireless controller. So I thought I was worried maybe there was something some kind of input lag with the controller, but no, it just kind of seems like none of the stuff is very reliable. And and when you have here on your notes, Chris, about running and I was like, there's you, you can run in this game because <laughs> they don't tell you that maybe and when it wants you to. Yeah, I, I think this game could have used maybe like a tutorial level or two, or maybe that's something that's in deep scan that I didn't see. <laughs> You didn't scan deep enough. Keith. That's, oh, no. that's really what it was <laughs> now. And I mean, and it's kind of unfortunate in a way because I feel like there was, you know, a not insignificant amount of effort put into these mechanics, especially for something that, again, could have been just a real vanilla, you know, across the board sort of brawler. But they chose to make this more involved to the point where also I, I never even knew about this until Chris accidentally did something while we were playing. But you can also combine weapons that you pick up to make more powerful weapons. Like, for instance, if you pick up one of those cans of mace and you also have a lighter, you can turn it into a a makeshift flamethrower, which I had no idea you could do that. And evidently, there are a lot of other combinations that you can make, which, again, like speaks to the fact that developers put time and effort into that. And it's a real shame that it seems like that never gets surfaced in any meaningful way, unless you do kind of what we did, which was just sort of stumble upon it. And I don't know, maybe that was their point. Like maybe they hoped that people would replay it enough to sort of like find these things organically. I'm not really sure if I may dumb down the gameplay of this. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) It's essentially playing Super Smash Brothers with all items on because all you're doing is dashing around the stage trying to pick up any kind of weapon so that you can get through it. I agree. Yeah, 100 percent. That's fair. Also, fuck that tactic that those guys do when they have a gun where they just like roll on the ground and there's no way to stop. Yes. Yes. Oh, fuck them. And then like all you can do is sidestep as they try and shoot you Mm -hmm. and the AI will just continually roll on the ground for at least like 30 seconds. Yep. (laughs) At least you're not timed. At least there's that. All right. I think we've beaten this gameplay up quite a bit. Ah. So let's talk about, Oh, but you have more. No, 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 I was, (laughs) I I was sarcastically laughing at your pun. Go on. Oh, Oh, yes. So let's talk about 
the presentation that this game provides in terms of its graphics first before we move on to sound. Uh, how did this game look to you all? And, you know, keep in mind, this is the mid 90s. I, I, it can, it's really easy to be harsh. It is. I mean, I don't know, man. It, it feels like a real Virtua Fighter ass looking game. I think that's yeah. most of what I've got to say about it. I guess they just don't age very well. You know, I mean, we've said no, this it doesn't. N- a number of times on the show when we've talked about games from this, you know, first wave of polygonal titles that they just they they age like milk. Unfortunately, you know, that's part of the reason why we have HD remasters, which for the record, there was one of these. I think it was like 2006 or something. There was there was a, an HD update mm-hmm. of this game that was released. I will say I just want to give Sega a little bit of credit. Uh, I do agree, like for the most part, that it's not the ugliest looking 3D game. No, but it's just it's uh, they're obviously just polygons, <laughs> you know, so right. they're very, very rigid. But to give Sega credit, I've played some pretty bad NES ports of arcade games. Nintendo was just whatever they were doing with their third party developers and just letting them bring over their their stuff to the NES because the NES was the thing to play video games on uh, back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. They are rough. They are very, very bad quality. To Sega's credit, they've always been really good at porting their arcade games over to their home consoles. At this point in the 90s, things were getting better on that end. So like Turtles in Time for example, is a pretty decent port of that arcade game. In fact, the home port is probably better than the arcade. Yep. I, I'm 100% agreeing with you. The port is is better. Yeah. So we're getting to that like point in the mid 90s where the crossover was becoming more apparent where it's like, well, obviously arcades are dying and these home ports are getting better and better. And so I was kind of looking at the differences between the arcade version of Die Hard Arcade, comparing that to what I played. And for the most part, they look identical. So, yes, they've aged poorly, but I have to at least give Sega some credit in the fact that they literally managed to bring that arcade experience to the Sega Saturn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and actually, Keith, you brought this up earlier when in our somewhat brief discussion of the plot, such as it is. But it is a good point. And it's something that I noticed as well. Um, and I do have to give them props for being purposeful in changing uh, John McLean's uh, character <laughs> model as the game goes on, uh, which is strangely one of the more solid connections to the source material, oddly enough. Uh, that, you know, he starts out in full police garb and then as each stage progresses, his clothes get more and more tattered and dirty and, you know, he ends up in just his, you know, white tank top and some torn up, you know, pants and stuff. And and so that's, and he loses his shoes, of course. So that's, that's kind of an attention to detail that I do appreciate. So I will super give them credit for that one. Uh, did anyone play with Chris Thompson or player two, the, the female John McLean, but not John McLean? For the game, uh, beyond like the point that John McClane gets his clothes torn off. No, because I don't know if they did that for her too. I have, I just don't, I don't know. Like, I don't have an idea. I mean, I was playing as her since I was player two, but I don't think we got far enough to find out. Yeah, we didn't make it far enough. 
I will say, like, I'm playing this with my Saturn on a RGB CRT hookup, and it looks good. Like, it looks really good when you compare it to other games of the era for the most part. It looks sharp. Uh, there, there are certain screens that have a higher RGB resolution, which is something if you look on YouTube for a lot of uh, videos that talk about upscaling and trying to make your setup the best. This is one of those games that has that problem because it has resolution that swaps between a high resolution and low resolution between cutscenes, which, you know, if you're playing it on a good TV set, you're going to really see a good looking game for the era asterisk for the era. Right. Uh, Other than that, like, yeah, it's it's that mid 90s uh, polygonal look, which a lot of people find charming. Admittedly, I find it somewhat charming, but it is. It is ugly, especially when you look at the president's daughter's face when she's in that desk and you, I'm just <laughs> laughing my ass teeth, off, though. It's so creepy. It's like Sonic the Hedgehog before they fixed him in the movie. It's like, <laughs> why do you have human teeth? But she's human. Like, no, 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 that's not human. I mean, she'd look worse without <laughs> teeth, to be fair. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do. <laughs> Well, so you you make a good point, though, and it's I guess you articulated something that I was kind of feeling and I hadn't really thought about it that much. But you're right in that I even though I didn't see this specific game in arcades back in the day, Mm -hmm. the art style that it has and the very early 3D polygonal sort of presentation, um, especially the the intro sequence with the helicopters and like the uh, the title sort of scrolling across the screen in flashes. Like that mm-hmm. hits this like very specific nostalgia nerve with me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So because I just remember seeing that kind of stuff in, you know, on arcade cabinets, um, you know, back in like the, the mid to late 90s. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, this was still in an era before they could really determine what kind of polygonal graphics they were going to use because uh, Sony was using triangles and most of the market was as well. But Sega was going with some sort of different polygonal structure. So that's what you're getting in Sega arcades. That's where you're getting on the on the Saturn. Now, obviously, Sega lost out in terms of what the predominant way of drawing legal models would be. Uh, the, the Betamax versus VHS argument. Essentially, but not not one that anyone really gives a shit about because it was just <laughs> no one. No one got a Saturn. Other than that, like graphically, I, 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 I do kind of have to give my my hat off, like just because it's charming. And yeah, it looks bad, but I do have to give one knock on it. And that is Virtua Fighter 2 for the Saturn looks absolutely gorgeous. And if you haven't seen it, go check out anything about Virtua Fighter 2. And Virtua Fighter 2 blows this game out of the water. Both Sega products, both on the Saturn. This game was was probably capable of doing much more. And if you want another example, go look at Burning Rangers which just absolutely slaughters this game in essentially every single department. Mm. And that is much more involved in terms of environments. I know it's slightly later, but we're talking like less than a year later or about a year later in terms of development time. <sighs> there could have been more here, but I'll stand by my as as you guys stated as well. I'll stand by my nostalgia glasses and just this gives me a warm fuzzy in the proverbial tum tum about uh, what this gives to me in terms of feelings of the era of graphical uh, presentation. Like to me, this game smells like cheap pizza. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only old guy sitting here right now because <laughs> yeah, as soon as I started up the game and that intro started, I'm like, oh, this is like a warm blanket. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's not a warm blanket <laughs> is the sound. 
what the fuck happened here? Not much. Yeah, <laughs> is, is the answer, I think, though, uh, man, do I really, really appreciate the voice acting? I mean, if we can call it that. But when when the, when when the guys are it. down is my favorite, by the way, when they get knocked down and you have that opportunity to like do a like a, a coup de gras basically on them, which we couldn't fucking figure out how to do, by the way, they just do this like, no, 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 over and over again. It's it's brilliant. It is. I know you had a lot to say about this, Keith, so I'll let you I'll let you speak to this for quite a bit. So one of the things I wanted to bring up before I forget, I was going to bring it up at the top of the show, but I swear to God, at some point, one of the female enemies, when you hit them or when you kill them, it sounds like a guy is just doing their voiceover. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a very clearly male voice coming out of that character. (laughs) I don't know if you guys noticed that. I don't. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I caught that. No, I think I did at the very first enemy, but that's because two enemies come out. I couldn't tell whether one or not, uh, whether one of them was female or not. I just know they had a ponytail, but, you know, that could be a long haired dude. Oh, that's true, too. It was one of those situations where I really wish I had like a capture card hooked up to this thing. Mm-hmm. So I just so I could have mm-hmm. posted it somewhere. But OK, I was just curious. I feel like the music is incredibly generic mm-hmm. and I ended up looking up what the soundtrack was, and there's 27 tracks, believe it or not. What? I'm sorry. Yes. What? <laughs> yes, there's. Where are they? <laughs> it's all in deep scan. I, yeah, right. You have to. Un- they're unlockables. You, know, you have to get to at least <laughs> 50 lives to unlock them. So I checked out most of them, unfortunately. <laughs> and you basically have these three themes running through all 27 tracks. So you have this frantic fast-paced just general plain action music that you would find in an action movie right and then it's got like people you know hammering on pianos and synths uh there's like these big cymbal crashes and like this marching band type of cadence on a snare drum you know Mm -hmm. yeah and and then you've got the second theme where it seems like it kind of belongs in something like goldeneye 64 or like splinter cell because it has like this kind of like spy theme to it and then you got the last theme here where it's like a, a slower, more sinister track that has like heavy synths and like it's a little more focused on bells and like a slower drum beat. And so they just repeat these three formulas, 27 tracks. So nine times different times throughout the game with just like slight variations on each. And to me, just none of it stands out. This this is a much deeper dive into the soundtrack of this game than I was ever expecting, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to go that deep. It works. I didn't even think that many existed. I thought it was one song on a loop. I'm going to be honest with you. I paid closer attention to it rather than uh, when I was playing it just a few hours ago. And they're there, but it's you don't notice it. Yeah. My take on the sound here is uh, I'll, I'll defer a lot of that to Keith because I didn't know it. So just go with what he said but unfortunately all those tracks just kind of you only hear one track for the most part because those cutscenes are so short that most of the time when you fight there's only one track you hear and it's just it, it keeps going on loop and it's just nothing special now i did look up who composed the soundtrack and the name of the composer is howard Drossen, and he did the soundtrack to uh some some pretty notable movies. If you look them up and you look up his, his filmography, 
like some of those movies, like they're not like a list movies for the most part, but they they are notable. You'll know quite a few of them. But in terms of his games, he helped out with Sonic and Knuckles, Vigilante 8 and Baldur's Gate 2 as a composer for those games. Uh, also, Comic Zone is included in that. I know a lot of people like the Comic Zone soundtrack from the from the Sega Genesis. So when you listen to this, it's just like, does this guy really give a shit? Um, probably not here. Probably not here. If I was him, I wouldn't add this to his resume. But I know what he was trying to go for because this is a a game based off a movie. So he's probably trying to write more of a cinematic soundtrack for action scenes and stuff like that. And it's just like it's another action scene. Who gives a fuck? You know, whatever. I made I made the one. It fits. So just I don't care. Just do it. And that's the feeling I got through the entire game. Uh, he might be extremely talented, the composer for this. And it's not that the tracks here are bad. They're no. not bad. Right. It's just that there's there's too much of one thing. Well, and I get it's really tiresome. It is, but I mean, listen, man. Like everybody has to get a paycheck, right? Like I'm sure this was just oh, absolutely, <laughs> just yeah. like, hey, uh, we have this arcade game, um, and, and like, let's be real. Granted, this is sort of a blanket generalization, but I feel like by and large, a lot of these older arcade games didn't exactly have like super expansive soundtracks to begin with, because. If you spend enough time in an arcade, you're probably going to hear the same damn song from a cabinet over and over again anyway. So I got to give him a little bit of leeway on that one, I guess. But I mean, you're right. Like they're competent. They're not bad. They're mostly like inoffensive. It's just that there's not really a lot there. Um, But again, it's at its heart. It's an arcade title. So I, I wasn't actually expecting a whole lot from it, to be honest. The game's design hurts the soundtrack more than the soundtrack does the game. That's well, the, I mean, sure. Like the, the, the way the they design go, the way, seriously, the sign is more problematic. Yes, exactly. Because like, again, and this goes back to what I said at the, at the beginning of the episode, when it comes to gameplay, you get this scene and you fight and then you go to a cutscene, and then you fight. It's just so broken up and everything's just so segmented. Is it long? Is it short? And then it's just the way the music is kind of put around it. Like you said, if it's in an arcade, you're only going to get one or two tracks. And are they catchy enough? Sure. If they're catchy enough, it's going to last. Fucking Bobble Bobble fucking destroyed people's eardrums for how long, but they still fucking (laughs) bum the tune, right? Like, if it's good, it's fucking good. But the thing is, it's just like they have this really sprawling, very dramatic action track that you play on, and then it gets broken up with this weird cutscene that, like Keith says, sounds like something that you could rip straight out of fucking Goldeneye. And it goes into this broad, dramatic action scene again. It doesn't fit. And because they do these cutscenes, and because they're so awkwardly placed within the game itself, the, the music, the, the repetitiveness of the music and the awkwardness that it repeats at becomes more noticeable. Other like if it didn't do that, I don't think I would be complaining as much as I am right now. I probably wouldn't be talking as long as I have been in this segment. Sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking of I am long winded, the though. length of the segment. I mean, we've sort of already mentioned it, but is there anything else that anybody would like to bring up about? The stellar voice acting that was included here. I think that sums that up. Fantastic. All right. (laughs) Well, moving right along. I actually, uh, if we don't have anything else to cover there, honestly, we didn't have any fun tidbits about this game. We we already talked about Deep Scan, so that that one's out of the bag. I don't know, Keith, did you find any other little miscellany about this game that you want to cover before we start to wrap things up? Not really. 
But the one of the, I guess one of the things that I was wondering about is, do you think Sega might have been sitting on the license for this and were about to just they fell into one of those situations where if they didn't use the license, they were going to lose it. And so they just kind of shoved this game out the door. Yes, absolutely. In, in yes. A way. <laughs> because after we have just talked about it, all I can think about is that probably was the case with this. Yeah, because it doesn't I, just seem fully fleshed out. What's interesting is that Die Hard trilogy came up before this game. Was that also a Sega Sega thing as well? It in in Japan it was published by Sega, but it was developed by Probe Entertainment, and it also came out on the PlayStation. So it was a PlayStation Saturn release that never came out in the arcade. So it came out before this game. So Sega had had to have just obtained the license or obtained the license while the other one was expiring in development. One of the two. Because Die Hard had already been out for quite a while. That that was a late 80s movie, if I remember right. Yeah, 88, right. I think. I don't know when Die Hard 3, Die Harder, I don't know if that's the name of All it. Right. Yeah. Die Hard with a Vengeance, thank you very much. I don't care. <laughs> Which sequel was Die Hard Man? Die Hard Man. Well, that, that, Die Hard, comma, man. Yeah. Die Hardman. That's or his is that name. just going to be in Kojima's movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, as far as I'm concerned, Die Hard 1 and 2 are the only decent ones. 3 gets a sort of pass, but yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I absolutely think that that was the case. Whether or not it was like a, oh shit, what do we do with this? Or more of a oh shit, we have a lot of these arcade boards. How can we sell this game? Americans like Bruce Willis, right? And action movies. And we have this license. So let's just slap it on here and kind of make him look like the lead character. I mean, even the title screen, I remember when we first fired this thing up, I mean, Chris can attest to this. I looked at it and I was like, oh, is that, yep. is that what they <laughs> think Bruce Willis looks like? <laughs> 90s polygons, man. It's there for you. Yep. Going back to the graphics real quick, those those character portraits next to the health bars are hideous. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're awful. They're awful. They're so funny. And this is how you know, by the way, that this was like sort of a slapdash thing with the IP because the character portrait for <clears throat> John McClain does not look McClain. anything like even your your character model. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So I guess I that brings into a I can't talk segue about uh, whether or not this game holds up because those segues sure don't and neither do the character portraits. We'll let, we'll let Keith go last on this because he's our guest. And Shane, how about you kick us off on why this game does or does not hold up today? Uh, sure. Yeah. So my answer is no. There, I think historically there are comparatively few games where I will just categorically say no. And I, I think that this is certainly one of them. Like, listen, it, it has its moments. OK, like, like I mentioned earlier, twirling a broom around is pretty fucking neat. And killing a dude with mace is fun. Um, I'm still not clear on why the Los Angeles Fire Department has it out for John McClane. Uh, But that's the gangsters, dude. I, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> honestly, that fire hose was probably the. One of the more difficult bosses. It's the evilness of unions. Oh, yeah. They're trying you go. to destroy us all. There you go. They're making a statement about that. Jeff Bezos would be proud. But um, I it's it just feels largely forgettable, really. And honestly, like too janky to really recommend in this day and age. 
Like, I feel like it had its moment, right? And it, 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 it was of a time. And then that moment fairly quickly passed. And, I, and that's really, I think, all I have to say about that. You have a lot of better options if you want to play beat-em-ups. And maybe there's a reason why three-dimensional beat-em-ups didn't really stay as a thing, you know? Uh, and that's that's kind of leads into my perspective on this. So the short answer is no, it has not held up. Um, the long answer is I still found this to be a fun game and I still like want to go back and play it like it has this mysterious latching and hold on me. It's, it's bringing me back like I want to play it one more time. Even when I'm playing it, I'm like, I, I can I can do another run. I can do this. But the reality is, is that you you shouldn't get involved in that. Uh, mysterious hold don't get addicted don't don't drink the serum don't do it uh because it's not it hasn't held up now is it one of the best 3d fighting games i've played do i think that i've enjoyed it just because more for its charm and nostalgia especially going back to the graphics and being of that era and and if you're a younger player you're not going to have that as we alluded to earlier yeah it does have a lot of charm in that department it is over the top it is goofy it is silly you're going to have some additional fun outside of this the absolute crap gameplay if the gameplay was tighter yeah this would be an easy recommend but the thing is the gameplay is not tighter it sucks (sighs) with that being said like no just no i i I already said no i don't i'm not going to say stay away there's some entertainment value to be had but if you want to know is this a good game is this something you're probably going to recommend to your friends the answer is absolutely not so, Keith, I would absolutely say that Deep Scan holds up. <laughs> Fantastic. It's totally playable in 2021. No, so, well, I mean, yes, yes, play Deep Scan, but Die Hard Arcade, you know, like I said, I had a real emotional roller coaster because I, when I booted this thing up and just the wave of nostalgia came over me, and then I, that first initial fight, and I'm like, oh man, these are like virtual fighter controls? Like, hell yeah. And then there was just a steep drop off soon after that. I would say no. Um, although I kind of agree with Chris, like playing it over and over again, I kind of got to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm kind of having a little bit of fun with this. Uh, even having just played it hours before this recording, I nearly beat it again. But when you when you jump into it right away, just without any of the prior knowledge, and unfortunately, we live in a modern day where you are probably not playing this game case in box it's not coming with a manual you don't know anything going into it unless i guess you're just really weird and heavily research the controls of a game that you haven't played yet or maybe you listen to this podcast i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about we don't live (laughs) we don't live that kind of age that makes three of us it's all good you're gonna be jumping into this completely blind probably and you're not gonna have a very good time um yeah it just yeah, going back to what we were talking about earlier, this game just kind of seems like it got shoved out the door because either obviously they had all these extra boards laying around or the license was going to be up. And if they didn't do anything with it, they couldn't hold on to that license. And or maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah, I, I just I don't see any reason why you would ever need to play this game, to be honest. Unless you do a podcast in which you are forced to. So you're welcome, everybody. All right. Uh, well, I, I guess that about wraps up our discussion of Deep Scan uh, for today. So I uh, appreciate everybody deep scan. being here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get us an HD remake of Deep Scan is really the conclusion that we've come to, I think. 
I want a Sega game and watch of Deep Scan. Yeah, I, yeah, go. I'm not even lying. I'm probably going to go look on on like the Google Play Store and see if I can find something similar. <laughs> nice. So before we get into our little wrap up spiel, Keith, why don't you tell the fine people at home uh, what you do and where they can find it? Sure. So I host the Main Quest podcast. Uh, it's very similar to what Chris and Shane do. I review retro games, but sometimes I dive into more modern stuff. So like I just did an episode on Hades, for instance did an episode on Returnal. It doesn't get any more modern than a 2021 game, but it's mostly retro stuff. I'm going through NES titles right now, and I will be soon going into Game Boy titles. You can pretty much get that on any podcast app, whatever you listen to podcasts on. And if it's not on there, you can shoot me a message on uh, my Instagram page. That's the main quest on Instagram, or you can shoot me an email, mainquestpod at gmail.com. Fantastic. All right. And uh, as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to this, then that means you have found us. So hello. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. But if you'd like to engage with the show uh, in a couple of different ways other than just listening, you can do that and we make it simple for you. All you need to do is head on over to Linktree slash Retro Hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Retro Hangover. And you will be presented with a user-friendly menu where you can choose to check out our public Discord, where we've got a fantastic little community going on. We have a lot of fun in there. We would love for you to join us. Uh, You can also check out all of our socials as well as our YouTube channel. Uh, And if you would like to support the show in a more concrete fashion, such as it is, then you can do that by checking out the Patreon. Uh, Become a, a patron, or you can look at the merch store and pick up some sweet stuff like a mug or a shirt or a bumper sticker for your grandma you know what whatever you need really uh and chris how about you tell the fine people about uh our twitch streams where we're totally pros now i guess so but before i do uh i just want to thank keith thank you so much keith speaking of the patrons uh you are one of our patrons and i just want to say thank you so much yes uh for being oh, one of our patrons yeah. and thank you for being on this episode i deeply appreciate it man thank you so much no problem i absolutely love what you guys do and i was so naive when i started my own podcast i was like nobody's talking about retro games <laughs> and i quickly found you guys and then like a whole bunch of other people and um yeah you guys are amongst one of the greats especially in the in the community and uh, just how thorough you guys are and everything um yeah you guys are awesome and i really appreciate you guys uh inviting me on the show I'm I'm flattered. I, I feel the same way about your show. I really enjoy yours as well. Thank you. And I'll roll in. That's where I'm going to roll into our Twitch where we are super affiliates now. And that means we're going <laughs> to sell out and just give us all the bits in your Amazon Prime subscriptions, bitches, because right. if you go to twitch.tv sl- prime slash exactly slash retro hangover twitch.tv slash retro hangover instead of your Twitch Prime subscriptions getting unused and going back to Jeff Bezos, you could give it to us. Or just don't. I don't care. I really don't. We never really intended on getting affiliated anyway. But we go there Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Swing by. Have a good time. Just chat. Seriously, you don't have to do anything in terms of subscriptions or shit. I really don't give a shit. But just come out. Hang out. We have a good community. Everyone has a good time there. And uh, we'll see you there. 9 p.m. Eastern time. Twitch.tv slash Retro Hangover. All right. Well, once again, as Chris already mentioned, uh, really appreciate you being on the show and uh, and of course, Thank you being guys. a patron and also just 
real quick. Uh, it's insane, but incredibly humbling that you would even call us one of the greats. That's I, I do not accept that at all, but I like it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just just accept it. <laughs> I mean, I guess if I have to, but it's, it feels weird, man. It feels weird. But no, seriously, that's that's very high praise. So thank you. But with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your I don't know how to suplex this motherfucking joystick. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.